Okay. So as we're peer reviewing this, I want to uh, solidify your understanding of a few things. So this is not the time to chat, my dear friends. This is time to open your hearts to the really stellar instruction that I'm about to deliver to you. Are you prepared? Great. Awesome. Wonderful. Okay, so the reason we do the research paper, I mean the references page before research paper one is written is, well, it's for several reasons. The first is that we never write a paper until we're clear on the sources. We don't do everything all at the same time the night before. Shove sources in and write it at the same time. We don't do that, at least not on, on my turf, right? So you have to have your paper organized and planned before you type the first word of it. So far, so good? We understand that and we understand why, right? But especially in this case, you have to have it organized before because your in-text citations are going to be really weird and specific because of those little lowercase letters after each date. So far, so good? Okay. Remember that research paper one, the requirements for this are that it needs to be four to six pages in length. What have I told you a thousand times about page length requirements? Say that again. Don't worry about it. My outline will get you there if you follow it. That's just the truth. Am I right? It'll probably get you over page count, but that's a different problem for a different day. Okay. Um, what the, what's really important to know is that anytime you're given a page range, it never includes the title page or the references page. So that's four to six typewritten pages. So far, so good? Okay. We know that this paper is built up of three, this is the same as argument from the beginning of time until now. You have one big thesis statement or claim. And then a well-written extended paper has at least three supporting points to separately support that claim. And then within those supporting points, we have evidence to prove those supporting points. So far, so good? Would you like me to help you visualize that or you feel like you get it? Do, would you like me to? You have question face. You do? You, you, anyone need me to visualize that for you in this moment? Who said yes? No, nobody? Okay, it, your outline does it for you as well, the outline that I gave you, right? So we, our main claim for this paper is what? The question that was asked of us is, what are the most important skills for students to develop in order to become good academic writers? That's the question. What's your answer to that question or your claim? What's your answer? Three things. I answered it for you. You're welcome. I already answered it for you. I've already set it up. I've basically written your paper for you. All you got to do is execute the plan. Yes? Okay. Because... Not because it's a good idea for your teacher to do all the work, but because it's a better idea for us to get the get done with this paper. That's what we need to do. Yes? Okay. So we just need to expedite that process. So that's why I wrote it for you. So we have our answer, and our answer conveniently includes three supporting points that we've already outlined for ourselves. Within those three supporting points, we're bringing two sources that support that supporting point. So far, so good? Great. And then... In the introduction of the whole paper, before we talk about each of the supporting points, we have to say why this concept matters. Why do people give a crap that, you're, that we, our society is full of good academic writers? Why does it matter? Why is it necessary? Why are we taking the time to learn about it? 
because it's bigger than just getting a good grade on a paper. It's way bigger than that, actually, right? And then you're going to reiterate that concept in the conclusion and really tie it into bigger societal issues. So far, so good? That's the grand scheme of the paper, yes? But in this class, we write papers from the inside out in order to ensure cohesion and flow, which is a fancy way of saying, if you write the beginning before you write the middle, there's very little chance at the beginning, by the time you're done writing the middle, there's very little chance that the beginning is actually gonna encapsulate the middle, right? So we write the middle first, then write the beginning and the end, thereby ensuring that it is a cohesive message. So far, so good? Okay. So what we concentrate on before our next class here, just kidding, here, is we're writing this paper in parts. But because for some of you, this is the first Big Fat Mama that you're writing, right? Or, and for all of you, it's the first Big Fat Mama for this class. We're going to stop in the middle, make sure we're not on the wrong track, and then we're going to proceed. So far, so good? We understand why we're doing that. It's not, in, it's not for me to just micromanage. It's me mutually ensuring our success. Yes? Okay. So you're going to write half of the paper, bring it in. We're going to peer review it. Make sure you're on the right track. You're going to fix the first half, write the second half. But by half, I mean portion, right? Because we're going to start in the middle and finish with the bookends. Yes? So far, so good. Okay. So next time before class, you're writing half of your paper, but you're not writing the first half. Right? I'm trying to be super clear about this because inevitably this is confusing for people. We understand why we're writing it inside out? Okay. So with your fingies, I know you have your friend's outline in front of you, right? But with your fingies, I literally want your two fingers to be on the two things that you're writing before next class. It's not making sense to write the introduction, right? So we got to start in the middle. What two things do you think I would have you do first as a checkpoint? As we're right in the middle. What two things, friends? There you go. Heading one and two, you'll write, you'll bring in next time, you'll turn it in to show Weber State that you're not cheating, right? You'll write those two, you'll bring it in on a piece of paper. We will peer review it. And then you're going to write what? In what order? Third heading, and then what? You guys are good. Okay? So... When you walk in next time, are you going to have a big overall introduction on your paper? You could if you want to be extra, but you better have written the third heading as well before you do that, right? Okay, you don't have to though. When you walk in to this class, should your paper have a title page? Yes. Always, forever, forevermore, right? Should your paper have a references page? Yeah. We don't turn anything to, into the university that is in any way plagiarized, ever, right? Just cover your butt situation, right? But is there going to be an overall introduction? Is there going to be an overall conclusion? Hold up on your fingers how many headings you're going to come in with. These are complete headings, though. So listen to the following trick question. How many introductions are you going to have in your paper? Hold them up on your fingers. That I love that you wrote that. I love that you put the fours up, and I love you for that. I meant heading introductions first. How many heading introductions are you going to walk in with? This many. But how many introductions of authors are you going to have in your paper? Two sources per heading. Am I right? Even though they will all be 
the same authors, but we're introducing different chapters. So far, so good? Let me ask you then, in what you bring in next time, how many minimum in-text citations are you going to have in that paper? Careful, because if you're holding numbers up with one hand, you've made a mistake. How many times are you going to have to cite each author technically? Think about it. Think about it. How many times, hold up on your fingies, how many times are you going to have to cite each author? We're talking about four authors. We're citing each author how many times? Once for the summary and once for the quote that's required. Two in-text citations per source. Hold up on your fingies. How many minimum in-text citations are you going to have on your paper when you walk in, friends? Some people are real struggling with the, with the two-handed numbers. <laughs> Aren't you guys like all in higher level math? It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yes. Do we understand why we just held up the fingies that we held up? Do we have any questions about that? So knowing that... What are you going to help your friend with today on their outline very specifically? We're going to look at the whole outline, but what's the most important thing that we're going to need to check? Headings one and two, am I right? Awesome. Okay. So we know that each heading should be its own little paper, its own little paper, right? So let me switch to that. Each heading should be its own little paper. You could technically turn it in as a cute little like 11th grade paper that you once thought was a really long paper. Remember that? Remember how cute that was? So sweet, right? So your whole heading should be able to stand on its own because it has its own mini introduction and its own mini conclusion, right? If you follow the outline that I've given you and write your heading in that way, then you should be set, right? Within that heading, each source should be formally introduced and summarized and cited. There should be at least one quote from each source. And then what's the money part? Well, the most important part of the heading. Take a look at your outline and consider your answer carefully. The most important part of your heading is what? Because without it, you just have a plagiarized paper. Yeah. The connection. The connection. That's where you have your own ideas about how those two sources speak to one another in essence. Share academic ideas. Yes? We understand why that's necessary. Without that, we've just taken sources together and we've just plagiarized other people's ideas, right? What's the other component of this heading that's keeping you from plagiarizing other people's ideas? Other than the citation, Aiden. Yes, why does the quote sandwich save you from having unoriginal ideas? It's here. This is your higher level thinking and your thoughts are here in the bottom bun of the quote, right? So we're covering our butt, but also being great academic writers by not just adding quotes in and shoving them, sewing them together and calling it a paper. We can add ideas from other people, but we must comment with our own ideas on their ideas. Yes? So far, so good. Knowing all of that, knowing what they must walk in with next time, right? I want you to check first. We're going to check uh, introduction and conclusion later. Just look at all three of their headings and make sure knowing how important it is for, for them to have all those pieces, make sure that they're going to walk what they have now will mean that they walk in with something awesome next time. So that's what you're doing right now. 
You can talk about it. You can chat about it. We're not necessarily highlighting anything specific, but knowing what they have to have in order to be successful next time. Ensure that they have everything from quote sandwich information, a well-selected quote, a connection, introduction that encapsulates the heading, conclusion that restates the ideas of the heading and the connections therein. comfortable though you guys they have high arch support so I have to put up with this can you hear that just for the person listening so they don't wonder what I'm talking about what they probably would wonder <laughs> regardless but you know So if they're missing any major parts of their heading, or if you think it's not going to work for them, this is where you talk about it. We're just triple checking each other's work. I hear conversations not about this paper. Are we done with this section? Are we moving on or do we need more time? I got zero feedback. I'm good. Move on or need more time? Move on? Okay. All right. So now take a look at their introduction. The introduction should always have the following components. It's up on the screen if you'd like to, if your heart tells you to look up there, it's up there for you, right? So your introduction should start with an attention-getting introduction of the topic overall. So again, we're talking about why does the world need academic writers in college and beyond, right? And that assumes that your reader knows nothing about the topic. So my favorite audience for this is a really smart grandma, right? She's smart enough to like follow what you're writing, but she does need you to explain from the beginning what the whole situation is. Right? It's been a long time since grandma went to college. She, she might not remember what academic writing is or why it matters. Right? But she's smart enough to follow. Right? Grandmas are the best audiences for papers and in life. 
Like, go talk to your grandma today. Give her a call. That's all I'm saying. And then, your introduction should include a clear and concise thesis statement that answers the prompt for the paper. Friends, what is the prompt for the paper? Cole, you've got to be joking. Oh, now I understand why. Never mind. I'd like to take that back, what I just said. I'd like to take it back. Do you accept my offer? Yeah. Great. So uh, the question for this paper is what? Can you explain to him what just happened? Because I think he doesn't know. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, so the question for the paper is, what do students need to develop in order to become good academic writers? Your trusty teacher, Hernandez, has already answered that for you. And it's what? Yes? Wait, Titus is reading a great thesis, so let's hear it. Love it. Crushed it. Does that answer the prompt and make a clear stance? Love it. Um, your in, it's Camden. La, uh, your introduction should include a brief preview of the supporting points, right? So just elaborate a smidge on the three things you've listed, and you're all set. Check out their introduction. Make sure that's all set. So far, so good? The conclusion is what people really suck at. Not just you, every single time I've taught this class, it's the conclusion that people peter out on for two reasons. Number one, they've left the paper to the last minute, the conclusion's the last thing they did, and they had already given up before they even started writing the conclusion, so the conclusion is garbage, yes? And number two, because conclusions are real hard to write well. They're real easy to write poorly, or, or as evidenced by the things that I've read in my lifetime, the thousands of papers I've graded, right? But the conclusion is what the whole paper is leading up to. The conclusion is if you're singing a great song, it's your money note, right? It's your highest, best, most important climactic point of your paper. The headings are all to set up the conclusions that you're going to offer to the reader in your conclusion right again the conclusion is the most important part of your paper always and here's why not only does it summarize the purpose of the paper but it takes the issue that you're examining and blows it up on a larger scale and it tells the reader of your paper why should I give a crap about what you're writing about why does it matter to me and why was it urgent enough for you to write a freaking four to six page paper about it aside from the urgency that is your grade in this class right Okay, so what we do in a conclusion, there's lots of steps to a conclusion. Let's all look up and make sure we understand those steps before we're grading somebody on it, okay? Your conclusion should not be rushed. The entire body of your paper leads, I already gave that little lecture there. Your conclusion should summarize the paper's main points without directly restating your thesis word for word. So you've got to restate your thesis without actually restating your thesis. We're talking about rephrasing, my friends, okay? Then I see some of you not looking up. I'd like for you to stop and really go over this even if you think you know. Let's pretend we don't know, okay? Your conclusion should restate the overall thesis. Oh, I put that twice, cool. Um, your conclusion should wow the reader with a beautiful so what and who cares. And for those of you who didn't take 1010, this is a direct re reference to the textbook that was for 1010. 
that is both equal parts, really a lovely textbook for the most part, and also the worst thing that's ever happened to me personally, right? And for the record also, if you're going to throw this book away out of anger, if you want to burn it, why not give it to a student who would struggle to purchase this and it might be the reason that they don't take the class because in 1010 they had to purchase this, right? If you're going to not use it ever again, give it to me and I will find a happy, useful home for it, okay? Or you could just keep it close to your heart, hand it down to your children on their wedding day. It's up to you, right? But I will give it a good home if you're not going to is what I'm trying to say, okay? So this is a direct reference to the textbook. And in the textbook, <clears throat> for a conclusion of every paper, the you should be able to walk away saying you identify who specifically should care about this. So friends, I'd like for you to tell me now who... What are a few specific groups of people that should care about this? And don't tell me society. Don't tell me American society. It's too broad. You have to be specific about the groups that you're talking about. So what specific groups should care about this topic? Yes. College students. Love it. Who else? Yes. Academic writers. They could be the same. They could be different. Who else? Educators. Educators. Awesome. Who else should give a crap? Yeah. Any professional field, right? Because in any any professional field that involves writing at all, these the three things that I've selected apply to any professional field. Period. Right? Other groups? Yeah. People making decisions. Any what? But we got to be more specific. Decisions about what? Educated decisions. Educated decisions about what? At life changing decisions. That's great. Right? So if you're talking about critically evaluating information, you have to be a good voter. You have to be a good consumer as a parent, right? You don't want to be using diapers that have chemicals for your baby's cute little bottom, right? It's, it's simple, right? You have to be able to evaluate your purchases, your votes, your sources, right? So yeah, all of those things work for the who cares. And now the so what directly relates to the who cares. So why should those people care? So be specific about why each of those groups should give a crap about this topic on a larger scale. And again, it's not just about getting an A in a class. It's about the fundamental reasons that we use information and how it can go so wrong if we don't use and create information appropriately. And right now our society is in a state, it's real easy to see why major issues in our society stem from <clears throat> the incorrect evaluation of information, the, the unethical use of information, people not revising their work, am I right though, right? And <coughs> not giving correct credit to who wrote stuff, right? We can. We have big systemic societal problems because of the stuff in this paper, right? It's not just about getting an A. It's about ethics and information in general. Yeah. Okay. If you think of it again, just raise your hand. Others? Other people's? Because when we talk about the big picture, people do a real crap job with the big picture. Do you want to hear an example of a bad job of a big picture for this paper? Real bad, real bad big picture would be because students need to do well on their papers in college. A big picture 
spans outside of the topic's immediate purview and looks at it on a societal level. What kind of society will we have if we have good academic writers? And what kind of society will we have if we have a society full of people who can't evaluate information, who can't ethically use information, and who can't revise their work? On a whole, we are that society, right? We are that current society, right? But when we're referring to our society as a whole, if I'm writing the paper, can I say our society? Why? Why is that wrong? It's informal because why? It's second person. Why is second person informal? On a larger societal <laughs> scale. Why does second person not work for academic writing? Why does it need to be third person? Think about it. It's not just because your teacher said it. It's because, say it again. You have to be objective about something that you're studying. If you're a part of the group that you're studying, you're not being objective, you're not a reliable source, right? So the reason academic writing is in third person is you are not a part of what you're studying, you're completely removed from it, therefore your objective and your information can be taken at face value. You'll be biased if you're part of the society or you say that you're part of the society that you're, that you're examining, right? So knowing all of that, take a look at your friend's conclusion. Have they selected at least two who careses? And don't tell me broad who careses. Specific who cares. At least two. That's what it says, right? At least two? Okay. And then for their uh, so what, have they clearly explained why those who careses should care? Why is it urgent? Why does it matter right now? How will it benefit them? And then the big picture is again the hardest thing. The big picture is why on a larger scale, yes this paper is stupid, yes we're writing a paper about a paper, but it genuinely is more than that, right? Yeah, I'd rather not have you write it, but it is imperative that you walk away from the cl this class knowing that the unethical use of information and the unethical evaluation of information is what creates fake news, is what creates political polarization, right? Is what creates people dying when we have vaccines for everything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we have major societal issues because of the problems that this paper is exploring. So far, so good? Let us review, my friends. You're walking in here into class with what next time? Heading one and two. Am I going to tell you a page range for those two headings? It's irrelevant right now. All I'm going to say is, did you adequately cover everything on the outline for the two headings, right? And the next thing I'm going to say is something that I say all the time. We are like so far away from class being over, so definitely don't pack up, right? We still have stuff we got to do. But this is important, right? If you're going to use the peer review process to your advantage, right? Some of you are still in the stage of, I hate peer reviews, right? Hopefully you're past that stage though. Hopefully now you're in the mindset that I don't want to turn in any paper without a peer review ever again, right? Because you understand the statistical reality that you cannot be objective with your own writing. You can't see your mistakes, right? You just can't do it. No good writer 
writes well in isolation. That's just facts, right? So peer reviews are to help you, but if you're gonna take full advantage of a peer review, not only do you need to be minimally prepared with the paper, right? But you have to come in here and you have the time, like what a freaking luxury. You have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday technically to have two headings that are awesome, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Walk in here with what you are sure I would give a four in every rubric column. You could not be convinced otherwise, right? Walk in here with something you're so confident about that then all you're working with is improving your best and putting it in terms of my best. That's what you want. If you walk in here with something that's nonsense that you didn't spend enough time on, that you didn't run through Grammarly, that you didn't double check against the rubric, that you didn't have somebody look over, it's fine, we can still do a peer review, but it's not going to be to your benefit. The purpose of this class is not to make you a good writer. That was 1010, right? This is an intermediate college writing class. It's taking you from good to absolutely the best, right? It, we're, we're, our, the purpose of this class is to take you from good job you did the things to look at how awesomely you did these things that were required of you. You took the requirements and you made it into something gorgeous. You pulled a Rory Gilmore. Do you not remember in the first season where Paris assigns Rory a story for the Chilton newspaper about the new repaving of the parking lot? Do we all know what we're talking about since I know you all have definitely watched Gilmore Girls by now, right? And Paris thinks that she is undermining Rory by giving her this crappy paper assignment, yes? But then Rory comes in and she's made the paper, the story about repaving the parking lot, she's turned it in to a thoughtful analysis of why in our world the necessity of moving on and change, right? She elevated the stupid thing to mean something so much more and really made Paris eat it. You know what I'm saying? And really, if we're not making Paris eat it, then what are we doing here? You know what I'm saying? And if you don't know who Paris is, it's your fault by now. That's all I'm saying. Paris Geller. One of the best characters ever written on television. She tells people not to procreate if they're stupid. Like, yes, right? So here's the thing. Bring in something that's awesome that you're proud of, and then we can make that better. If you're still operating on a 10-10 level, I can't help you, man. I can help you, and you can get a good grade, but you're not walking out of here with the skills that you need from a 200-level English class. Yes? With all of that being said, I want to offer an opportunity to you that I know all of you are going to be open to with your full hearts. Am I right? So far, so good. Some of you have already heard this. And for those of you who already heard it and completely dismissed it, what I'm going to ask you to do right now is open your heart to this process. Because never has there been a oppor better opportunity in 2010 or 2015, right? Never has there been a better opportunity than this week for you to employ the beautiful incredible you all know what i'm going to say right now right you do you all know you know i'm going to make you rewatch the thing like you get that right on a fundamental level you know what's about to happen never has there been a better opportunity for you to understand and implement the amazing effective incredible and versatile pomodoro method am i right i'm so right you knew it okay so here's what we're going to do even if you've already watched it you're going to watch it again because i'm telling you it's going to change your life don't resist it. Just lean into it. It's not that hard.